Welcome to episode three of the unnamed Leicester Tigers podcast, still without a name and uh, quite enjoying it because each week somebody else will tell me what they think the name should be and uh, look, to be quite honest, I'm more than happy to keep hearing them, uh, send them on in and we will carry on as the unnamed podcast for now. This week going to be a little bit different after two front rowers we thought we might try and smarten it up a little bit, no offence to the club captain Tom Youngs or... Dan Cole, who, look, let's face it, Tom might be listening, but Dan certainly won't be this week, so I've probably got the license to offend him a little bit there. Um, <laughs> I'll regret that, I'm, I'm absolutely certain of. Um, this week, there's going to be two guests. So, as usual, Stuart Farmer will join me for Farmer's Fun Facts, if you will, the club historian, who will give us all the interesting and, well, interesting for all, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Interesting numbers ahead of this weekend's milestone match against Bath. Um, keep an ear out for the milestone I'm referring to there. But ahead of that, I've actually got a very special guest with me for number three. Finton Kennedy, the club's interim financial director, of course, joined the board in February of this year. Then we rolled into the world-halting pandemic of which Finton's had to assist the club and, and guide us through from a financial point of view in some very rocky and unfortunate ways at times, but Finton looks back on that period with me, and then, of course, Stuart will look ahead to the weekend's action when we return to Welford Road for the first time in how many days? I'm not sure, but I'm sure somebody will have that figure out there. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, up first, of course, as I said, Finton Kennedy. And today's guest might be able to help with a name. Um, if there is rebranding, though, we might have to pay for it. So you might advise that we stick with the unnamed podcast. Um, I've already had one jibe at him. That's a little bit harsh. We're 20 seconds in. So we had Dan Cole and we had Tom Youngs. I mean, naturally, the progression then is to go straight to the very top of the board. Um, so... Finton Kennedy, all the way from, I'm going to get this right because I got in trouble earlier, Claire in Ireland, um, joins us, the Interim Financial Director. So, Finton, first and foremost, this is your first visit to Oval Park. What do you think? Yeah, very impressive, Sam. Um, just had a tour with Geordie Murphy around Oval Park and met um, a lot of people, which is good. Always nice to put... Uh, well, I say faces to faces because I've seen their faces quite regularly on, on Zoom calls um, over the past uh, three or four months. So really, really nice to come up and see the setup and, um, and meet you as well, Sam, which has been quite nice. We've met on Zoom calls as well. Um, I always find it really weird when you meet someone who you've been talking to on Zoom and you go, oh, my God, they're huge. Oh, my God, they're not that tall. Or, oh, um, oh, he's, oh, wow, no, he's got, you know. Yeah, much bigger shoulders than he lets on or something like that. I'm not implying any of these things towards you, by the way, but I just thought um, I'd mention them. Look, you've been um, in the role now, you could say, uh, for, I think you described it as Febbish, since Febbish. Um, we had a chat, obviously, around the time, I think, ahead of the return to training, and we, we had the big finance panel. But I guess if I can ask you, in February, 
what was your plan coming in before it changed rapidly in six weeks? Because I'm, I will go into COVID and on all that has come from it. But actually, in February, what was the not only the reasons but the the plan you had coming in? I think um, you know at the start of the year there was a plan for some changes around the board in general. Um, and initially, I was appointed to the board as a non-executive director, um, chairman of the audit committee, as such. Um, now. Uh, shortly afterwards, of course, COVID kicked in and um, that suddenly became more of a hands-on role and I was appointed as um, interim finance director with um, Ian Walker moving towards retirement, um, which Ian will now obviously uh, be leaving us in the next couple of days, which will be sad to see. A, a strong finance director over the last 22 years here and uh, I've worked very, very closely with Ian um, over the past few months. So it'll be sad to see Ian going, but I don't think it'll be the last we'll see of Ian at, uh, at Welford Road, obviously a big, big fan as well. So yeah, so went from that non-executive role into uh, a more executive role as such and uh, really working very, very closely with Andrea and the team um, to battle against what we now know has been a very, very difficult time for not just Leicester Tigers, but um, for all clubs and generally businesses across the world, Sam. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a tough time. When you, um, obviously, in terms of the tough time, there's been some obvious things that have gone on, some very public things that have gone on. I'm going to fire through a few of them, if that's all right with you. And you can tell me which ones you can't answer legally. Um or you could just say that if you don't want to answer them and pretend that it's a legal issue, which everyone else does anyway, so that's fine. Go for it. Um, what is the current state of club finances? Because we know we've had some figures bandied around, around, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, about the 5 million mark was the potential loss of what could have been coming in. As such, um, without getting fans into the stadium, um, you know, to the year end, 30th of June, which we would consider the end of the season, that is certainly around the five million um, mark in terms of lost lost income. Um, now, obviously, we're still in the same scenario where we're moving back into into playing games, but again, we don't have um, fans into the stadium so if we carry on basically you know we're looking at the similar figures over the next four five six months and i think exeter quoted tony roll last week quoted a million pounds a month i mean we're of a similar vein basically so you know we need hopefully some turnaround from the government where we can start to get some fans back into the stadium on a socially distant basis of course and keep everybody safe but um purely for our sanity as well to be able to watch some rugby with a bit of an atmosphere would be would be nice so no it's very very difficult at the moment we've done a good job in um you know looking at all of our costs as such across the business and you know making savings where we can do of course um that's been a very very difficult exercise as everybody is aware from our previous discussions um but we're doing our best and um, yeah, we'll get there and we'll come out strong the other side. But it's, it's imperative that the, the government do now step up and help the sporting industry, which it, uh, it certainly hasn't been doing. tuning into this so I'm if you sure. have any messages for them we can send it <laughs> on but no no I, so I'm going to ask you a very blunt question when you say we looked at our savings across the board yeah. how much money did we save or did you have to look at saving in terms of a target and I'm, I'm assuming there's still some yeah. saving going on in places 
Yeah, I mean, we're still looking at our costs, of course. We're looking at them every day and in light of, you know, what's ahead of us and how far ahead we can forecast in terms of what's what's going to be happening. But um, look, we had to unfortunately make quite a few people redundant. That was, you know, it did say it's an annual saving to the club of in excess of a million pounds. Um, and on top of that, obviously, we've had some players leave the club. Um, we've also had some players join the club as such. Um, and, you know, it's... Uh, you know, the, the Leicester Tigers really the brand and the loyalty of the fans and you could see that then obviously with the players as well because the absolute vast majority of players have stayed loyal to the club hung around and are going to help us through this period uh, which is which is really really good news with the, obviously the, the contracts for players is the big media talking point or was the big media talking point thank god we're talking about scrums yeah. and lineouts again yeah. but um, <laughs> when you say obviously those players took the cut obviously all staff from you know Steve to Andrea to Absolutely. everybody took a cut as well yeah. Was is there a figure around what was saved in terms of people taking that cut or is that one of those ones you can hide behind the lawyers on I'll stay behind the lawyers on that one yeah, <laughs> yeah but obviously it's a significant number of course yeah. but you know it's not something that you do lightly and um, you know given the scenario it was absolutely necessary um, that is still in place and our players have absolutely committed to that cut for the next season yeah. um, which is very very helpful but that's only one step there are many many steps that we need to take really to, to ensure that we carry on as you said the, the rugby returning gives us some sanity but also to be blunt it provides some financial income yeah. for clubs too because BT obviously paid yes. their amount in terms of yeah. uh, and I might be speaking out of turn, but a promise of this season returning so they can yeah. get rugby back on the TV. Yeah. What, while well, we'll talk about fans not being in the venue in a second, but what is the number or what is the injection in terms of getting games back? What was the financial bonus of getting games back? Yeah, well, I think the overall contract, I think, was in the region of 8 million for all of the clubs. So if you want to work that out between 12 or 13 different that. clubs, <laughs> that's, that. <laughs> that's the region. But I think, look, it was important to, to get to get back playing. And, you know, we do have a commitment to that yeah. contract with yeah. BT as such. So, um, you know, you might look at it coldly and say, actually, it does cost money to come back as well because of all of the logistics around that, yeah. all of the COVID-19 testing, which is not um, doesn't doesn't come cheap as such but yeah we do have a contractual commitment it is good to get to get rugby back and yes there has been the provision of some forms of income from the bt uh, broadcasting contract of course but at the same time that doesn't all come to us it goes into premier rugby yes and premier rugby of course do have their own costs as such yes. so it's not just splitting it uh, widely between 12 13 clubs as such it's uh it uh, needs to be netted off events against the various costs of PRL and getting the game back um, in play as such. So those distributions are not as high as they would be in normal circumstances. You, um, we'll talk a little bit about your, obviously you are Irish, so you grew up following rugby. Let's not pretend anyone, <laughs> anyone doesn't in Ireland. Most yeah. people do, I would assume. Um, that might be very stereotypical of me, but I might be I might be wrong. But I, were you? People see rugby as quite a wealthy sport. You've got very high earning players in terms of the average Joe or Josephine on the street. When you came into the sport, were you in this role? 
were you at all surprised around actually how paycheck to paycheck some of clubs in premiership rugby, one of the world's biggest competitions, are? When you look at the RFU and what players earn and and how much money the RFU makes, were you surprised at all around that? Did you, because we're not in the football world of monopoly money, are we? No, no, absolutely. And I think what you see is that, um, uh, and what I've noticed is over the past four or five years that um, you know rugby attendances and I guess particularly Leicester Tigers which I look at very very closely obviously the attendances have been fairly static and income has been fairly static with not many um, increases I'm not suggesting there will be any increases whatsoever Uh, that's 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 not at all the case but um, um, what you do see is that um, inflation on wages and salaries has increased significantly where you move from a scenario at Leicester Tigers where we've had player salaries and costs at 58% of turnover and moving towards 70% of turnover without, with no additional increase in income. So, you know, that, that brings a lot of pressure, yeah. a lot of pressure on a club as such. And, you know, regardless of COVID, I think um, all clubs, it was going to come to a state where owners will look at their, at their clubs and think, well, I keep putting in and putting in and putting in as such. And it's not that, you know, owners want to take money out but putting in has got to stop at some stage and we've got to look at it and think well how do we increase the revenue line and get salaries to a base where we can be a sustainable club moving forward which is self-financing you mentioned the owners so i'm gonna you open the door i'm gonna ask the question. <laughs> you the general person on the streets comment usually and this is maybe that football model of why can't they just stump up they're, they're wealthy individuals. Um, yeah. We don't have a single owner. We have majority shareholders yes. um, and, and successful individuals. As you say, it's not a case of just, well, it is their money. Why yeah. would they just stump up if, if others aren't? And, yeah. Yeah. But you can understand the question from the street of why can't they yeah. just inject here, there and everywhere. Two-part question. One, if you want to answer why can't they? Yeah. <laughs> and two, have they? It, during this period sure. in particular, because we know, and we've spoken to Peter in particular about this, and yeah. um, you know, obviously the, the other major shareholder is Tom Scott. There's no everyone knows that. It's not it's like it's a hidden thing. Yeah. But between them and, and others, the question can be asked: not only why wouldn't they, or would they, but have they as well in this period? Not only the twenty sure. plus years that they have yeah. put millions and millions into the club too. I, I want to have that disclaimer on here because yeah, it's yeah. a bit like people <laughs> think, what well, this is a whole new world. Well. They have parted with millions of pounds. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, As you say, we have a broad range of shareholders. I mean, we've got 10,000 and something shareholders. So, um, yeah, but we do have some majority shareholders, of course. Um, You know, Peter, Tom and and Tom Scott being two of the main the main characters as such in that respect. Um, And both of them have been extremely supportive of the club over over many, many years that they've been involved in the club. Um, and we now are at a time, obviously, where, you know, it's a it's a difficult, difficult period. And, you know, of course, you would expect that the shareholders will help out the club in a period like this in particular, as such, um, given what's going on and ensuring the survival of rugby and the club uh, as such. Um, look, we're talking to all our stakeholders. That includes the bank, because we are one of few clubs that are very, very lucky to own our own ground and stadium. And we can you know, finance and leverage off the back of that, which we have done, and that's very, very visible from our public financial statements. 
um, we're working with them. But we are, yes, absolutely also working with our major shareholders who are absolutely committed to ensuring that we continue as Leicester Tigers. And yes, there will be investment from the shareholders moving forward, Sam. I'm not even going to ask about a bigger because I know you're hard behind the legal one there. So I won't go there. <laughs> um, season ticket holders as well. Um, match ticket purchases, they all had a decision to make around credit, donate, refund and, and yeah. each to their own in this unprecedented time. You've all got to look after yourself yes. 100%. What was the, it's not an injection as such, but what was the, I don't know if you have it at handy, I'm putting you on the spot here without yeah, asking this earlier, you but are, Sam, yeah. <laughs> maybe even from a point of view of not the financials, but what was the feeling among you and if you can give us an insight into the the other board members and those shareholders about when those people and it was a large amount said no hold on to it yeah yes we'll get something out of it in the end but yeah that's why we have it anyway so they do get something out of it what was the feeling among the boardroom when you did get that number back and andrew says look this is how many people have said they'll keep it in yeah no absolutely i mean i i honestly can't remember the number off the top of my head mm. but um i do remember um the I don't think it was surprise. It was like again, again, again. The share, the, the sorry, the supporters have stepped up here and really, really backed the club. And you know, me coming from, um, you know, I've not been involved in the rugby club prior to this. I've been involved in other sports as such. And coming into a club like Tigers, um, and really starting to understand the DNA of the club, and in particular the loyalty of the supporters, is is just immense. So. Um, yeah, whilst I can't remember the number right now, I do remember, um, you know, being very, very impressed by that. So, no, thank you very much to everybody. Yeah, um, oh, in, uh, definitely. In the same way that, you know, as we were saying before, you've got your players, you've got your staff who took a cut, effectively Absolutely. leaving money in the club. You've got fans doing the same thing. And I think sometimes it gets all a bit lost in headlines about someone not getting a contract paid. Well, yeah, it's not just a bloke running around in... A shirt. It's it's much more yeah. and much deeper than that. Absolutely. Sponsors, because contracts ended June thirty with some sponsors. They sure did. Yeah, but they haven't ended. I mean, last yeah. week we saw the boys running out in. We know Holland and Barrett are leaving, yep. and after after a long time of supporting yep. the club as well. And again, decision made prior to COVID. It's not a COVID thing, but sponsorship. How difficult's that been? Because you've got Top Styles coming in, yep. you've got Samurai coming in, yep. and I know you're not necessarily uh, selling shirts in a retail sense like Chris Rose, but you, that financial side, how difficult that side been in terms of managing? Yeah. We've got to also acknowledge and honour Top Styles who are investing in the club while honouring what we owe in yeah. terms of media and, and rights holders. And No, absolutely. Again, we just going to keep going back to it. It's a testament to the quality of the brand of Leicester Tigers and that you want these top, top class companies wanting to be associated with the club, um, which we're very, very grateful for, obviously. Um, and in particular in a time like this, that we see um, our sponsorship actually leveling or increasing slightly yeah. ahead of next season is just, it's just incredible. And it's a testament to Andrea and her team and Mark, etc., who have done a tremendous job in working with our sponsors and partners moving forward. And, you know, long may that continue. Obviously, the shop has come back in-house as well, and that's a, I know you love numbers, but it's also a, it's a positive story too, because there was issues around the last store. Yeah. Uh -huh. the, the shop was brought back in-house because Chris rightfully so said, look, 
we're going to have to spend some money to make some money, yeah. but we are going to spend some money too because we need to take back the quality control here and yeah. we want to own our own store and be able to distribute and sell. But from your point of view, it's been a very popular, well, it's been a very talked about kit yeah. for next season. Absolutely. Popular yeah. among some. Yeah. Um, but it's been selling out in various sizes and obviously they'll come back in store and you've got shirts that weren't going to go on sale, the red ones the coaches wear, which they're now going to sell because of popularity. Is there or has there been a positive financial side from the store coming back in-house? Because it did cost yep. to bring the store back in-house as well, oh, no, didn't it? Of course, it? yeah, absolutely. But it's um, it's been incredible. And, uh, you know, I had maybe a day before the release, I saw the kit. I was like, whoa, what's, what's going on? <laughs> That's different. Absolutely. But the reaction, as you say, has been, uh, it's been very, very good, I think, with an initial sort of people would say, well, the OA kit's a bit Marmite. But... Yeah. Actually, I think it's now turning to a lot more, you know, a lot more positivity around that, which is which is fantastic. It's certainly different, and I think the response from the fans again has been huge. Um, despite the club store being shut because of the situation that we're in, um, that we've had probably our biggest weekly sales in the first week that we've ever had, um, which is really really good news for the club. And again, thanks to everybody for the support around that. And um, yeah, I need to go and buy mine this weekend. <laughs> yes, well, the stories not physically open yet but it is opening soon so i know a lot of people are very interested in that but yeah, um a stir of sorts yes it's been quite interesting reading and yeah, seeing I guess just about the, the shop itself. it is good for us to have absolute control yeah. over how we operate it quality control as you say and you know we've got control around the numbers and the margins that we operate on as well which is gives clear visibility for us which is good, good news. When um, February you arrived, take me back further than Feb, what was your background? So what was it that, obviously finance and numbers, yeah. but um, what is your background? You said you worked in other sports. What was it that, I guess, led you to this point here? Yeah. Um, so I am... Um, Obviously, I'm an Irish lad, yeah. and yeah, but I haven't actually lived there for 25 years. <laughs> um, so I came straight out of university and went and studied uh, to be a chartered accountant with Coopers and Libran, as it was at the time, um, in Jersey, in the Channel Islands, and uh, told my mum I'd be back after a three-year contract, and 25 year, years later, I'm, I'm still there. So I've worked in um, various jobs, um, you know, accountant in hotels restaurants bars um, big conglomerates combining all of those together property development etc but recently yeah i've started to work closely with a um a startup triathlon company called super league triathlon mm -hmm. which is proving very very successful until covid came along and put a spanner in the works there um yeah so i've been working with uh, chris mccormick and a guy called michael dulst um to try and make that um sport a little bit more uh, entertainment friendly shall we say rather than looking at the, uh, yeah. the the sort of boring 40 mile or 40 kilometer bike ride where the fans don't see yeah. um, what's going on so we're trying to make more of an entertainment and more of a, a venue related uh, event around that so that's really 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 exciting as well you mentioned triathlons and I my understanding is that you take part in them as well but also I want to talk about more recent events when you I can't understand why you decided to do this, but you decided you would go for a, let me get this right, 200 kilometer bike ride in six hours around 
Lake Geneva. I mean, I could understand going to Lake Geneva to have a look, but why would you want to ride around for six hours? Well, I wanted to look at all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was the thinking? What was the motivation there? And is that is that something you've done yeah, look, before? I, or? I've been involved in triathlon probably for about eight years now in various guises in our club uh, as such, and my family are all deeply involved in it my son competes for Ireland at elite level so he's um, very very interested so he trains regularly and I, I like to train with him basically obviously I'm not sure he likes me training with him but uh, um, I try to keep up so you know generally when we go on holidays it's quite activity based so um, we just were about 20 kilometers we were staying in a place called Morzine in the Alps and uh, we're 20k away from Lake Geneva and Jack just looked at the map and said let's ride around that so I got on his wheel on the back and <laughs> hung in there for about six, six and a half hours. <laughs> I can't understand that. Is that, your, is that your main passion away from numbers? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm a lover of sport, really. I love triathlon. I love Arsenal Football Club. Um, I'm not sure I can say I love Munster Rugby Club as well because <laughs> that's that's where I'm from and was born and bred as such. But um, so if Leicester come and play Munster soon, we'll have to see what happens <laughs> as such. But uh, yeah, there's been some tremendous battles between both of those clubs over the years. Obviously, in 2002, sticks vividly in my mind. Obviously, <laughs> that's as long as you remember. <laughs> you constantly you remind me, Sam, with some of your uh, social media posts. So. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, uh, yes. I'm sure if, if and when you meet Austin Healy, he'll remind you as I've well. I've no doubt. Don't I've stress. No, I've no doubt. Um, obviously, growing up, were there any rugby idols you had? Did you play the game? It's um, a huge no. sport in Ireland. Yeah, no, I didn't play, actually, because the, actually the biggest sport in Ireland, obviously, is um, hurling and Gaelic football. As such, uh, rugby comes behind that. So it's not something, really, that was... Um, particularly in my county that was promoted as a sport really it was very very much the traditional sports growing up but my county is about eight miles away from Toman Park so we would always go and watch Munster play growing up and um, yeah some idols down the years for sure um, you know it's uh, the usual so you've got O'Gara, O'Connell all those boys and they lived in a golden era as such and Axel Foley obviously who unfortunately passed away um, was always a hero as well so because he was he was from where i come from he's uh, he's not a limerick man he's a clare man and there's much debate around that so uh, um so yeah no look we had uh, great times in, in Tolman park growing up and um, i still try to grab a game or two every time i go back to ireland i've got a note here to say don't ask about limerick just say you're from clare I'm so i think clare. that's what you're referring I'm, to I'm from clare. i was born in limerick but i'm, I'm a clare man and <laughs> besides jordan murphy did you have a favorite irish player because obviously I have to say Jordan, and we'll just edit this to make it work, because it sounds like you naturally said it. Yeah, of course, it was absolutely Jordan. <laughs> and listen, I'm a big Paul O'Connell fan. I liked, I loved watching Ollie Campbell growing up. Uh, he was great to watch. Peter Stringer, great to watch. Um, yeah, many, many favourites, many favourites. You just can't beat a scrum. Yeah. She's getting the ball in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he made that error near nail back, didn't he? Yeah, so. that's, that's too. Th yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Just can't beat a scrum. <laughs> um, you mentioned someone earlier. As a final point, obviously you'll get your first uh, first Walford Road experience as a director. Yep. This week. Yep. I don't know if you've been before. I've been twice before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually been, but um, you'll have to sit by yourself. You yep. know that. 
social distancing. Yeah. Quite a weird experience. It's You'll see Oxford Road empty. Yeah. So that's going to be a strange thing. But you mentioned someone earlier, Ian Walker. So yes. I wanted to ask you about Ian because uh, within the coming days, he'll actually officially leave the club. But like you say, I don't think it'll be the last time we see Ian floating yeah. around Leicester Tigers and probably quite happily floating around as a fan. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> um, absolutely, yeah. 20-plus yeah. uh, years um, the financial director, but probably more famously known as Dr. Soul. Yes. One of the, <laughs> one of the men behind uh, Smoke on the Water yep. coming into the club. Yep. Um, the famous DJ of match days. Um, <laughs> not so much anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a few rude versions of Dr. Soul, which we won't bring up because children might be listening. Um, Ian, can you, you've had a little bit of time dealing with Ian versus yep. what most have. Yeah. What can you tell us about Ian? Well, he's certainly got more character than me. I'm going to be a lot more boring as a finance director than Ian. That's, that's, that's for sure. He's got the driest sense of humour I have ever, ever come across. And uh, he makes me laugh an awful lot. But obviously, Ian has, you know, his service to the club has been absolutely tremendous over that length of time. has been uh, probably unrivaled, I guess, in Premier Rugby FDs, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, but no, he, he's been a tremendous help to me in his period of time that I've been here since February and, you know, teaching me the ropes around how a rugby club operates from a financial perspective. And I can, can't thank him enough, really. And I wish him all the best. And um, I'll see, see Ian tomorrow before he, he departs. Um, yes. So, yeah, thank you, Ian. And uh, we'll see you again soon, no doubt. Yes. It's always a little bit weird when someone leaves because I always feel like you're kind of doing a... It's almost like their funeral. I know that sounds awful, but it sounds a bit like they're you're doing an, yeah, a yeah. eulogy of someone when it's That's leaving. Right. But it's, um, I think, as you say, his dry sense of humor. He'd probably enjoy attending something like that, wouldn't he? That would be Ian's kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to throw my own funeral or something like that. Um, yeah. Look, as a final point, and I'm, things are not great financially. Let's all be very frank about that. We've we've talked about the figures in particular, but the. Things have been done, we've moved forward, we've taken steps, players, coaches, staff, the game, Premiership Rugby, the RFU, everyone is trying their best to yes. get everything back to yes. some sort of normal. Absolutely. The new normal, I think, is Andrea's expression. What's the outlook for those listening? What's the outlook yeah. from your point of view? And you, again, I'm probably going to ask you to step back into the boardroom. Yeah. And I think most of your board meetings are done by Zoom anyway these yes. days. So that's the yeah. new normal too. Yeah, yeah. But step back into that boardroom for me what's the feeling because i would imagine four or five months ago there was a sense of yeah what are we going to do and yeah. quite nervous about what was ahead but actually now i would imagine with a plan in place and while yeah. figures aren't flying through the door what's that feeling among those directors and, and the chairman and all those majority shareholders around yeah. where we're at and what we can look forward to yeah absolutely the key for it really is is this virus to uh, take a step back. <laughs> Let's get this vaccine in place so we can all get back to normal. Now, that's probably not coming in the next four, five, six months, but I think it's important that we do try to get some form, uh, you know, limit on the number of fans that we can get into stadiums, and that would be a starting point for everybody. Um, we are planning for a bright future. There's absolutely no doubt about that. You don't invest in the squad like we have. You don't invest in a coaching team like the coaching team that we have. Um, to, to come where we are on the table at the moment. And there's no doubt we want success for Leicester Tigers. As and when we get back to normal, finances return to normal. You know, every penny that is invested in this club was, stays in the club. 
and anything that we make in the club stays in the club. So, you know, everything will be put back into uh, improving the squad, improving the facilities, improving coaching. And, you know, we're all focusing and planning for a successful future. And that's what's most important. And as I said earlier, good partners with the, the bank and our shareholders all contributing towards that. So we'll be here for the long term. As a very final question, have you actually enjoyed it? Because I don't think anyone would blame you for saying, no, it's been absolutely <laughs> awful because I walked into a complete shit storm. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, it's been an emotional drain, hasn't it, really? Yeah. Because you, you're working in an environment that is very, very difficult um, to, to operate in. But at the same time, you're working in you know, an industry that you love and have a passion for, um, which is really, really important, I think. And, um, you know, we will come out of this stronger and then we'll all look back and think, you know, that has made us stronger. Um, so, yeah, onwards and upwards, Sam. Onwards and upwards. Well, thank you for joining us. I know you've, you've got plenty of other better things to be doing. I'm not so sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, welcome to Leicester. Thank you. No one else in Leicester sounds like I do. I think this is normal. Uh, or sounds like you do. So yeah. don't take that. Sure, out. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, and enjoy the game on the weekend. Sitting well, by yourself with no food, no drinks, and yeah. in a mask. So, so, sounds great. The true Welford Road experience. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Appreciate your time. No worries, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, we'll forgive him for being a Munster fan uh, for now because of the hard work he's put in in recent months. But look, um, an incredibly interesting chat with Finton. If you've got any questions or anything you wanted to know further, uh, tweet them on in and we'll have a look at whether or not we can get Finton back on for another discussion. Um, Always an interesting chat with Finton. Uh, Up next, as I said, the big man himself, the club historian, the man in the know, much better than any other Tigers fan. Club historian Stuart Farmer with this week's Farmer's Fun Facts. Stuart Farmer is back for, I think it's our third, it's only our second conversation, isn't it, Stuart, around stats themselves, but it's our third conversation in as many weeks. Um, Lucky, lucky you. Um, Stuart, I understand before we go to your homework tasks that I set you, because you have, you have handed your homework in on time, but before we go there, this is actually, and without fans, it's a little bit heartbreaking for this, but it's the 200th game between Tigers and Bath. That is, wow, a milestone if there ever was one. Yeah, I think there's only about three, maybe four clubs that we've played more often. Yeah. Um, Coventry, Northampton, two very local ones. Yeah. Harquins as well, we've played slightly more often. Uh, but yeah, Bath is, uh, is right up there and 200, I think it'll be about the fifth, uh, the fifth team to get to that, that particular situation. But yeah, they've been, we've been travelling down there and they've been coming up here for 107 years, I think, altogether. Um, interestingly, we were chatting about this last week. They were part of the Easter tour. Uh, yes, for a while, that's right. Yes. In the away games. And then when you had the days of structured fixtures um, in, the, in the good old amateur days, you could set your watch by the calendar uh, every year. So you always knew that the opening game of the season was always Bedford. 
and it was away one year and at home the next. And game number two in the second week of September was always Bath away or Bath at home, depending how they did it. And then we also played the opposite fixture against Bath in early in the new year. So you always knew you played them in September, you played them in January. And we played them twice a year for years and years and years. And that's just how rugby was in the quaint old amateur days. What threw it all apart, really, to a little degree, a smaller degree, was the cup ties because the knockout cup was introduced in the early 70s. And we used to, I remember sitting there like it was in the FA Cup and listening to the radio and saying, who are we going to draw out the hats? And it, was, it used to be a great old day. We don't have any of that anymore in rugby. No. It, was, it used to be wonderful to think, where are we going to be travelling to next week? And I, I've been to some wild and exotic locations just because Tigers have drawn away in the cup. I remember going up to Fylde in the cup in the 90s and, uh, and up on the coast there, very near Blackpool, Wade Dooley's old club, Bill Beaumont's old club, very famous old Tigers didn't play them very often. And I remember us going up there uh, and watching the game. Well, I say watching the game because the sea mist rolled in and nobody saw anything of the entire game. It was just a grey mist in front of your eyes. And at one point, all we could hear was a few little bits of cheering from the other side of the ground. And we had to shout to Rory Underwood on the pitch, who scored then? Because nobody had a clue. <laughs> so we went to places like that and Blackheath and uh, all of these famous old clubs. I lament that a little bit with the advent of the leagues. And then, of course, the leagues now have thrown all that into a ride because you just have to sit there and wait to see who you're going to play when. And uh, it's, it's, it's more interesting in that respect because you don't know who your opening game is going to be. You don't know who you're going to play over Christmas. You don't know who you're going to play at Easter. Or if you're going to play at all, at all if you've got a virus. Well, exactly, yes. These days, these days, we've got no idea. Um, I hope you're not referring to Bath as a wild and exotic place. <laughs> I've been there a few times and it can get a bit tasty. I've certainly, when the, the wreck is, is a better, is better position than it used to be in terms of its drainage. I remember going down there a few famous old times and I remember one point it, the, the weather was so appalling one one year that on the pitch in front of me i was standing on the terrace a duck floated past on the puddles on the pitch <laughs> so that was a wet one and i remember i was staying in a guest house just over the road from the back of the wreck there and that year it used to be a really tired old ground i mean i used to call it the wreck with a capital w yeah it was but either way I was staying in a little guest house and I remember going in the bar after the game, shouldn't have done, had a couple too many beers, hadn't even signed into the guest house, walked in and it was such a pulling day. My hood, I'd worn a worst baseball cap, my hood had filled up with water during oh, the no. rainstorm. And when I signed the guest book, the water came out of my hood as I sent, and it, his guest book floated <laughs> away on the table. And I'm sure the guy thought, oh, he's ruffian from Leicester, you know. And that. Uh, but yeah, so we've had some interesting sites. It's a beautiful city, uh, some great away trips. And in the 90s, certainly, we had the, the raw end of the deal. They it, Basically, we'd play them once a year, to, and, and whoever won that game, really, would take the league title. That's what mm. it was. And, and unfortunately, in that era, Bath just had the edge and tended to win it more often than not. But then we got our revenge in the 2000s. And now, I think it's just up for grabs. Yes. Um, Bath played particularly well last week. And I thought we did well for 20 minutes, which is good. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be a real severe test this weekend for the boys. But I'm sure they'll be up for that one and uh, remembering all the history. And uh, We'll go into the history in a sec. But for the numbers sure. lovers, um, Tigers in particular. So Tigers have won 115 of the 199. And Bath 71 with the unlucky number of 13 draws. Um, yeah. But this, this week, Stuart, they... Tell me if I'm wrong, but mm. Bath, they have they never won four or five in a row or something against Leicester Tigers? Yeah. It, no, it's it, it's at Welford Road specifically. Sorry, yes, go. Yeah, that's historically, it. Historically, you know, as I said to you, they used, to, they used to come up here in the first week of September primarily um, and play us up here. And um, they always, it was always a tough, it's always been a tough ask to come to Walford Road. But yeah, they've won the last two games at Walford Road. Yes. Uh, that they've been up here. And in that 107 year span, they've never done three in succession at our Citadel. Right. So I'm hoping, um, upon hope, that they don't get a chance to do that at the weekend and we. Uh, we send them home with a little bee in their bonnet. Well, they, and they've won their last three against us in the Prem, though. Yeah, they have. They have. Just lately, you know, they've just had that little edge. And there, there's never much between them. I mean, looking back over the years as well, we've had some rip-roaring battles over the years. And, and I've been looking back over some of the archives. And, and most of the time, it's a single score separating the teams. I know we've had a couple of hidings down at Bath in the last five years. That's down there. And they've always been pretty close up here, generally speaking. But they've, the, the two sides have been historically pretty well matched of late. And I, I don't see any reason to see that's going to be any different on Saturday. Um, so I, th- I think it's going to be a, a, good, a good game. And I just hope we come through it and uh, we, can, we can take a victory this time. We've, so we've got, to, we've got a certain man in charge who um, these days who well knows that away dressing room. Yes, at Welford Road, and um, his record against Leicester wasn't brilliant for Bath. It was much better when he moved across to Saracens, but um, <laughs> uh, he didn't win too many times at Welford Road as a no. visitor. So um, it, it'll be just interesting to see how all that pulls together at the weekend. But Tigers, I mean, again, I'm stealing your notes. I'm stealing your <laughs> numbers. But Tigers have won their last four games at Welford Road. Yeah, maybe, just maybe, we've, we've turned a little corner. It's going to be bizarre because, um, uh, yes, we have won four in a row, but it's been months and months and months, as we all know, since we were there. And last time we were there, there were a lot of people in attendance. So this yes. is going to be strange. It's not even going to be like an A-League game because, you know, Tigers have always been historically well uh, supported. And, you know, we've been getting 1,500 2,000 people to A-League games. So it's going to be really, really odd, as it is for all these games. It'll be the lowest ever attendance at a Tigers game, even beating that game against Waterloo in the 1970s when only 120 odd turned up. So, <laughs> Well, I've got that question think... for you. I'm very interested because when was the last time, and we spoke about this a bit last week, but when was the last time that we will have had probably less than 100 people in the venue? It's got, well, for a Tigers first team game, let's say that first. I mean, yeah. certainly for when we used to have the extras down there in the, in the good old amateur days, there would have been only a, a smattering of people on the terrace. But yeah. in the early 70s, 
Tigers were really, really struggling, as was every single rugby club. The game of rugby union wasn't trendy in the early 70s. I mean, it's hard to look back now at that era with any fondness because there were a lot of games that were incredibly low scoring yeah. and incredibly boring. We haven't had a nil-nil at Welford Road. I mean, geez, that's hard to believe, but we did. And a lot of clubs had that. There was plenty of three-nils and they were just not, spectacles and mm. people just turned off in their droves and Tigers were not like anyone else they were just like everyone else people didn't come to the games and if you look at that I just didn't believe when I looked at some of the gate receipts books we managed to managed to find in the archive the gate receipt books from, <laughs> wow. from going back to the 20s and you, every single game was itemised with each turnstile. It told you how many people came through each turnstile, who the gateman was, how much money he'd taken, because it was all cash. Yeah. How much money he'd taken, all that sort of stuff. So all the figures were there. And when you look at them, this one game against Waterloo in, I think it was 1972. I think, I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, but it, it was 43 people or something. Wow. And that was the paid attendance. I'm guessing there were probably a few other people, maybe there were family members of players, but they didn't pay to go in. Even the players played in those days, of course, because they had to pay their players subs. Yeah. Um, but either way, the, the physical paid attendance of money that went through the turnstile was about 42 people. And that wasn't, wasn't alone. There was quite a lot of games in that era that were 100, 200 people. Fortunately, by the time the leagues came around in the late 80s, we were well up into six seven thousand and then it's just gone snowball ever since then but um it's hard to believe but yeah we've had a few poultry cloud crowds over the years but not in the big stadium we've got today it's 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 no. gonna be eerie i would have thought i'm quite looking forward to just seeing what the atmosphere will come across like on the tv i guess you know you and, and the media team will be there so it'll yes. be even stranger for you guys. <laughs> it was quite uh, strange at Exeter, I won't lie. Um, uh, so I think, you know, hopefully people will still be able to hear me because I won't be any quieter than uh, usual. Um, <laughs> so, Stuart, it's homework time. I set you the task last week as, as I predicted, Dan Cole did not score a try. So yep. once again, I was on the money, hopefully. You wouldn't have won, you wouldn't have won much in no, the way. no. I think his odds were somewhat low. Um, yeah. So he's now 95 games without a try in, uh -huh. uh, I think it's more than 235-odd games for the club now. It must be 236, I think, from last week. Yeah. So where, where does he sit? Because I'm surprised. It's not as high as I thought it would be. No, he's, he's somewhere around 15th, 16th on the list. We've had, we've had at, least, at least 15 guys that have gone over 100 game sequences without getting across the whitewash. So Cole is no different there. But he'll he get there. Will he'll be. get there. Yeah, well, yeah. It, he would be a very, very old man and a very grey old man if he had any hair. <laughs> um, if he ever got anywhere near the record, which yeah. is, as I suspected the other week, it's Bobby Barr, yeah. who was all back at Tigers 1928 to 1939, and he never scored a try in 241 matches. I mean, in fairness, Coley has at least scored twice for England since he last <laughs> for Yes. So, yes. I've come to his defence a little there, but uh, no, he'll never take that record off Bobby Barr. I think I can confidently predict that. Just, just getting a five-pointer would be quite an achievement still, though, in the, uh, in the modern squad, I think. Imagine a fullback these days who didn't score a try for 240 <laughs> games. They wouldn't play 240 games. 
Uh, nowhere near. I guess well, I, I don't think they'd last the week out. It's just the role of the fullback has just utterly changed over time. And they own it's surprising, but you read in the papers and you read the historical books, you read the encyclopedias about rugby, and they say that the fullback only became an attacking weapon that came into the three quarter line in the 1960s. And you just think, well, what the devil did they do before that? Did they just stand at the back like a goalkeeper in football and just basically stand under the goalpost fielding high balls? And I think that's probably the answer. <laughs> Obviously, last so, week we had the milestone with Tom Young's 150 starts and 190 games. So he's yeah. approaching the 200 mark where I think only, is only his brother and Coley sit ahead of him in the current squad. That's um, right. But I asked you, captaincy. How many games yep. has Tom now captain the club? 78 he's led them out wow. um, currently. So, yeah, quite a healthy total, to say the least. Again, he might have a shot at Jono's record if he mm-hmm. just hangs around for quite a few years. <laughs> um, Jono's record for the club, 202 mm-hmm. times he led them out onto the park. So we're not even halfway there yet. Tom would be about 10th on the list so far of the wow. of Start, uh, 78 captaincies but um, yeah it, it, he'll just keep adding to that total I would imagine over a period of time of course captaincy as, we, as I was sort of chatting to you a little bit earlier before we went online uh, it was slightly different in the old amateur days because actually the team voted on who they wanted to be their captain yes. in the amateur days so they'd have, a, they'd have a ballot and then somebody would be handed the, the armband if there was such a thing in those days, but the, the captain's armband. And they could only keep it for two years. That was the club, rec- the club rules in a way. So by inference, not many people, unless they had two separate spells at different times, could captain that many games. Although they were playing 35, 40 games a year, which is we're about half that these days. Yeah, I think Tommy still might win that vote if they went back to that format just quietly. Um, yeah, I think you're probably right. Looking at Bath, Stuart, I, I set you some other tasks as we came into the, the week, didn't I? So, top three appearance makers for the club against Bath. Who are they? Yeah, Graham Roundtree, number yes. one. 30 games against the old enemy. Jono, 28 yes. games against them. And then we've got a tie at third place, which is uh, Ben Kay. Uh, Neil Back, Darren Garforth. So basically, you know, members of the golden team yes. of the Millennium, basically, and they all had incredible records against Bath. So the the cur- what about the current squad? So you current got- squad? Well, I, I, I think probably everybody can probably get the answer to this. It seems to be every week it's the same thing. Dan Cole has made twenty appearances against Bath so far, and the Youngs brothers, both of them, have played nineteen. So, um, again, the guys that have got the most appearances racked up in the current squad, you'd expect them to be up there, and they are. But they're still 10 games shy of uh, Wig at the top of the list there. Uh, I had a quick look. Tim Stimson, 120 points is the most that anybody's ever scored against Bath. And try scoring, we haven't scored that many against them. The top try scorer against Bath is a guy called George Cullen, who played in the 1950s with nine. Wow. And none of the current squad are anywhere near. So he's going to keep that one for a number of years yet, unless we have a real uh, barn, barnstorm tomorrow. And again, I'm not party to the team, but maybe one of our Fijians might make his debut and he might score 10 tries all in one go. Who knows? You never know. 
maybe, yes. One of them is still on the way. Um, uh, okay. And as we discussed earlier, Kinney, I think when he pulls his um, number 15 shirt on, we won't see any issues with him getting across the chalk, I would suggest. Uh, I think might be right. He, he, he looks pretty tasty for an old city player. he's a hell of a try scorer. So the only other one, Stuart, I wanted to ask you about, we had a chat about this week, is obviously, as you said, Steve is a, a Bath yep. legend. Um, yeah. and a soon-to-be Tigers legend, undoubtedly. But you, mm-hmm. he, 28 games against Tigers in his career. That's right. 18 of them for Bath, if I'm correct. That's right. Yes, Sam, very knowledgeable. And how many games did Jordan come up against Bath? 23, all told. So, you know, he's up there. He's nearly on that uh, top three list. He's not that far shy of that. But a great record. I mean, of those 23 games with Jordan, he was only on the losing side four times. So, uh, you know, he was a bit of a good luck charm as a player. Perhaps we ought to get him to lace his boots up for the weekend. Um, I don't know. I saw him move the other day. I'm not sure Jordy's still got the uh, athleticism he once did. Uh, well, I just still I just still remember him earning his genius on the weekend <laughs> every single week. And I still remember the drop goal he scored at Coventry in the Cup when nobody knew who he was. I think it was his second game for the club. Done near halfway, and he just dropped the goal. He dropped a goal in the cup tie down at Camden Road there, and everybody <laughs> looked around to, who is this guy? And uh, ever since then, you, I just can't get that out of my mind. He's, he's, he was a great player, and um, he's going to be a great director of rugby too. Absolutely. There's one. There's one more question I've got for you, Stuart, and it's one I'm going to throw at you without warning. Um, Thanks. We we at Leicester Tigers celebrate 20 games with a tie. Yep. I had the question this week from somebody who joined the club over the summer and they said to me, why? Why is the 20 game the tie? Um, just out of pure interest. Right. So it might, okay. be one, might be one for you to go away and find out. Yeah, I need to go and do a bit of research. Yes. Uh, because in the past, there were always ways of commemorating yep. uh, with the Tigers. And, and in the 20s and 30s, it was you would get a, a, phys- a physical cap, not a tie. Yep. And you'd get the cap after 10 games, which mm-hmm. seemed a bit an extravagance to me. But it seems to be since the war, it was 20. But yeah, I'll have to go and ask some of the old stages and see if any of those can recall why it's 20 games. Um, but it's been that way for a long, long time. I seem to remember Peter Oldwinkle telling me a little while ago, when I did the original Tigers title in 1993, Peter had played 20 first team games he was convinced. But in the club records, we'd only got 19. And so he hadn't actually ever received a player's tie. But when I did my research, I found that he'd miscounted uh, one of his games and he should have played 20 games. So he eventually ended up with his player's tie 20 years (laughs) after the game he played that he should have won it. So he was quite a a happy boy and still is. But yeah, I'll go away and uh, do a little bit of homework on that one and uh, see what I can come back with. Uh, for next week for you, mate. Well, I'll give you the stat this week because the the most recent recipient of their tie was Nephi Leotinunga last week. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that, I hadn't spotted that, so well He's, done for looking at yes. my list. Yes, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm stealing your numbers. I'm not telling you yeah, something yeah, yet. <laughs> and I will, I will tell you this much, Stuart, before I let you go. Uh, there will be another recipient of one this week without telling you the team. Uh, so do your maths, eh? You've got oh, right. Okay. Well, we're all 24 frantic- hours to go and do your maths. Yeah, we're all frantically looking down the list at who's played 19 games now. Yes, so. there you go. Stuart, thank you once again. 
and I'll Absolutely. see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. Will do then. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Always an interesting chat with the club historian. Thank you to Stuart once again for joining us ahead of the milestone 200th meeting with our longtime rivals, Bath Rugby, this weekend. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with a very special guest. I can guarantee you some drama when he and I sit down for a chat. Enjoy the weekend and go the Tigers.